Thank you for tuning in to Lunar Cats as we touch base with Alita Kelly in Grand Rapids, Michigan. I know that I find it so encouraging to hear how others have persevered or dealt with certain situations. I think there's so much we can learn from one another. Uh, My goal with this podcast is to bring people together, even in our differences, different difficulties, um, especially amidst a global pandemic. Um, I think for a lot of people, it has maybe changed our list of priorities and uh, the people that I want to sort of shine a light on in this series um, have been some kind of light, whether it be through social media or people that I knew from my past um, and just seeing how they grow. Uh, uh, Owner and operator of Southeast Market GR. Um, It's really exciting because I've known Alita now for what, like eight, oh, a decade almost? Probably. Uh, Like at least eight years. Yeah, eight years. No, eight years. And we we originally met at Spoke Folks. Mm -hmm. Alita came in to build a bike and uh, like a cool style cruiser. We just really bonded. And one thing I really remember from meeting you is that you smelled like my mom. (laughs) And that's the most (laughs) random thing. But I remember you used like this apron and I used it like the day after one of the days I helped you. I was like, Mm -hmm. I have to know who this person is. And then later when I found out that Dr. Kelly was your grandmother, mm-hmm. I was like, I'm going to, I feel like I'm going to know this person for my life. Like it just was like this full circle sort yes. of. So everyone welcome Alita. Thank you. Very grateful to be here sitting with you. Uh, also, I didn't know that I smelled like your mom. Yeah. You, it was big. like some hair cream or something <laughs> that you had in your hair is something that my mom used wow, like hundred percent. That's cool. Um, and I also remember coming to Kaylin's house when you used to live with her and you introduced me to tarot for the first oh, time. Yeah. And I still have that same deck that you really? like entered. Yeah. So the I what show the yeah. Osho. Yeah. I still have it. It's like totally tattered, but I've used it. I've had it since I moved. So I've had the deck for five years and I was recently gifted this chakra deck that I brought Mm. with me and I thought it would be kind of cool if we just drew a card together to kind of get started and um but why don't you tell us about a little bit about Southeast uh Market. Sure so uh Southeast Market is a grocery store and food hub on the southeast side of Grand Rapids with a mission to increase access to healthy, culturally appropriate, affordable food through a sustainable and equitable lens. It was created out of the need of in my own community. And so I've lived in this area uh, for close to seven years, uh, but both of my parents were brought up in this neighborhood. Um, I live essentially next door. There's one house in between my home and the home that my my mother grew up in completely all of her years um, as a young person. Um, it's the home that my grandma died in, the home that my great-grandma died in, both from dietary-related illness and I watched them walk to the corner store to get food um, because they didn't really drive. 
and that's the only place where they could get food um, in walking distance. And so um, after I was in school for dietetics, learning about the importance of food um, and livelihood and just seeing, you know, my own intergenerational curses because of lack of access, I realized that teaching people about how to eat was is important, but it's not as essential as them having access to it first. Because when it comes down to it, people want to make good choices. They do. They want to feel good. But if they don't have the opportunity to see this food, try it, um, then there's nothing they can do. So um, after working in the food access world and nutrition in Grand Rapids and going to all these meetings, all these talks about what are we going to do about food access, I was just like, you know what, I'm, I'm tired of talking. And took the leap to a tangible um, route for access. And the only way that we could have opened in October 2020 was through a successful GoFundMe, which raised um, about $32,000. Our goal was $26,000. And we got thirty-two dollars from 400 unique donors, um, mostly strangers to me. Um, but I think a piece of it being successful was all of the seed planting that had happened over the years, um, just doing that work in the community. So, yeah, that's that's how we got going. Um, how, how do you define food justice? Because mm-hmm. I feel like that's, it was something that you introduced me to, like a concept a long time ago, back when you used to work at the, the hot, like St. John's mm-hmm. home St. John's when you were trying to incorporate healthy food and teaching the kids how to cook. Like, how does that relate to food justice and the access to that within your community? Sure. So when I talk about food justice, I always talk about the intersection of environmental justice and social justice. You can't really talk about one without talking about the others uh, because a lot is missed if you're not um, recognizing the intersectionality of the three. So food justice to me, and I think everybody has their own definition of food justice, a food justice to me means having access to fresh food and food that is grown in a way that honors the earth and food that is grown by people that look like me, that grow things that my ancestors ate. And, um, yeah, and food that is a part of a system that empowers people and not makes them sick and feel disempowered. Where is your store in relation to where you live in Grand Rapids? Yeah, it's a half mile from my house. So you can walk to work? Yep, I walk or I bike. Um, yeah, it's, it's really, it feels so good especially like walking the same streets that my my grandma used to walk and like if she was still around like she would walk to southeast market mm-hmm. and so that feels good 
Uh, how did how did the store survive in the height of the pandemic? It's so. Is it you and the same business partner that you started with? So I started on my own, and um, how I met my business partner Kara Dewitt is I reached out to her to form a contractual relationship because she had her own accounting practice, mm. and we met and just really got along, and like she really understood the mission and the vision of what I was trying to do. I had tried on a few different business partners, um, but Kara was a perfect fit because we're very, we're a dynamic team in the sense that she has all of the skills that I wish I had, but now I don't have to because like she has them and she's able to teach me like lightly about accounting and business systems and a way that I can learn alongside her while we're developing the business. And I bring some unique skills to, to the partnership too. So I invited her on as partner and she quit her job. And I said, you know, I want to make sure that you're in it like I'm in it. I asked her to put up as much money as I had already invested. And she said, okay. Yeah, it was wild. I was like, we didn't know each other. Wow. Right. And so the day I got the keys to the building, she was there meeting me for the first time. And we walked in together. Right. And then we shared a a bottle or a half a bottle of Snoop Dogg's wine. It was like 19 <laughs> grimes or something like that. Yes. Um, in the window right there. And that was the beginning. And there's no way that Southeast Market would be what it is without her. Um, that's something that I, I've definitely shared with a lot of other entrepreneurs, young women that I talk to, especially if you have a family. Like you gotta have a partner, but it's like a relationship. It's a, it's, it's a very significant relationship. Um, so, you know, we fight, but we fight well. Yeah. And like, I would say they're disagreements more so. And we disagree and we, we talk about it right away and we work through it and we support each other as mothers and yeah. as women of color. Like that was really important that we were able to understand each other on those levels because there's just not a ton of time to, in this business, um, to explain, you know, why I need time with my daughter, you know, why I feel this way after this meeting because they're being biased or whatever. You know, we just, we see each other. And so that's been huge for us. What's her, so she started an accounting business in Grand Rapids? Yep, she's had her own accounting um, relation-based, relational-based accounting practice. And so she's been working with all kinds of nonprofits and startups, um, getting their books in order and helping them to formulate processes to be successful. And you graduated from the Michigan Environmental Science and Sustainable Business Program. Mm -hmm. You completed that program as a single parent. Yep. Traveling back and forth between... You were living in Ann Arbor and Grand Rapids, right? You were yeah. kind of like 
can you tell us about that? Because I feel like that alone is was a huge accomplishment. And mm-hmm. I remember when you got into that program and you, yeah. you did you did the damn thing, and, and you got the house around the same time, like right before that. So yeah, so I had my house. Um, I got my house five years ago, but I graduated last year from from U of M, a two year program. I was finishing out my degree there, and. Yeah, as a single mom, co-parenting, that looked like for a year going back and forth. Well, really two years going back and forth. The last year I kept my daughter with me in Ann Arbor. And so integrating her into the school system in Ann Arbor, not knowing anyone, you know, not being able to call on anyone like, hey, can you pick up her from school or whatever so quite literally like sometimes my schedule the way that it worked out I would have to end class and run to her school like with my backpack on like running to get there on time so that she wasn't gonna be like the last kid and in the office and like where's your mom kind of thing Mm -hmm. and I just took it as an opportunity like to get some exercise but like yeah it was tight it was tight and that that was when I had like my geology class and there was no other time to take geology and this is the time that our school closes so like it is what it is and the after school program was full so just gotta get together there were so many things like that um while working part time remotely for a real estate development company out of Memphis while running an Airbnb in Grand Rapids, while going to one of the best schools in Michigan, in the country, honestly, full-time, in a hard science-like program, as a woman of color, as a single woman, it was intense. It was completely intense, but what I I like to say is that after that experience, it turned me into this beast, this monster, I say. And, like, a lot of people have a negative connotation with that, but, like, I feel proud. I should say warrior. It turned me into this warrior of a woman where I'm like, okay, if I can do that, like, what else can I do? Like, I did that check. Um, And so that really gave me all of the the skills and the audacity to take on this project because I was still in that mode of like okay grinding what are we going to do how do you be agile how do you problem solve to to do it all you were recently in a photo with uh Michigan's governor Whitmer can mm-hmm. you tell me about that experience there like you were at a got like some kind of business gathering yeah. but she had your bag mm-hmm. in the photo which I was we like had, wow. I've, I've met with her twice over the last I met with her twice within a 30 day period and that was really amazing first I was invited to speak on behalf of small businesses um, at a press conference that she had here in Grand Rapids and so it was, you know, me, a representative from the city, um, Governor Whitmer, and, like, a few other folks, like, up on the stage. And I had a, an opportunity to speak with her, like, behind the scenes, too, and, and just thank her for her leadership. And she was like, you're, you know, you're the leader, and, like, thank you for, for what you're doing and all this. And that, that was really humbling. 
Uh, so after your your meeting with Governor Whitmer, you you had previously mentioned that opening a business, mm -hmm. especially surrounding food, with your focus on food, is a bit political. And yep. what adversities did you face with that? You know, being a woman of color, having your partner also be a woman of color. Sure. I would say that um, I didn't experience a lot of adversities from the political um, lens because I'm pretty well connected. And my family has been in politics. And so uh, I have privilege. And it really illuminated to me how if you're not already tapped into all those resources, like those are additional barriers that people who want to start businesses have, especially with something as political as food or something as um, that has such small margins like food. Like you really have to be strategic uh, about how you you move politically um, and networking is so important and getting access to certain to certain resources you wouldn't even think you would need as a food business but yeah i hats off to to everyone who starts a business in general and then on top of that during covid we were starting a business as you know a black business a black owned business when 40% of black owned businesses closed during covid and just as a, a female-operated business, like, those are few and far between, need additional support, have additional, have unique obstacles. Um, yeah, so we're just really grateful that we're still here. Despite opening in COVID, we were not eligible for any of the, that PPP stuff because we opened during COVID. All of the relief, we were not eligible for that. Was there ever a moment where you were like, I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. Like you were just trusting like in the Every dark. day. Every, Every single day. I'm like, wow. How are we going to do this? <laughs> it's a roller coaster. But my latest reflection has been, like, just give it up to God. You know, the fact that we open and that we're still surviving is a success in itself. I think there's just, you have such a unique aspect, and I also love that on your website it says closed on certain days for tea and, and bath yeah. time or something, and yeah. I, I just love that idea, and I feel like it just makes it more relatable, even mm -hmm. for someone looking at your website sure. who wants to support you, and I also feel that there's no way your community wouldn't have embraced you because even where you live and where your home is, you're right across from Martin Luther King Park. And I feel that you've already created that presence and continued your family's presence. And sure. so you, you also have the Freedom School, at Freedom School, right? Yep. Yeah, yeah. I'll speak on uh, Freedom School. So Freedom School is a children's enrichment program um, that started before the market I was in my COVID garden, like many other people, and I was tearing up the yard and doing my plant experiments, and the kids were just really curious, and they wanted to play, and they wanted to help, and so I, me and my, my girlfriend, um, Stephanie, 
Volk, who is a, who has been an art educator and I'd say a guerrilla gardener, um, we came up with this curriculum because we were thinking about homeschooling our children post pandemic or, you know, within the pandemic. So we started this curriculum called Summer Dreams and it morphed into Freedom School. And instead of just for our kids, we were like, this could be something for the neighborhood. And so that has continued to evolve into Freedom School, which was in my home, which was 10 kids meeting in my home last year. And I had um, my cousin who was an organizer in Chicago through the BYP 100 project, Black Youth Project. Um, and they hold like mediation circles and community accountability stuff. And so they were great to have here teaching the, the kids about identity politics and um, what the Black Lives Matter uprisings were about and giving them context to that and encouraging them to 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 live their life in an informed way and in an, in, in, an empowered way. We also had Resilient Roots Yoga, who's led by Kayla Morgan here. And I just met her. I met her on okay. Friday at um, Pyramid Scheme. Nice. Super cool energy. Yep. Yeah, that's yeah, awesome. she's great. So she would come every time we had Freedom School. She's been a part of Freedom School since the beginning. And do um, comedic yoga, mindfulness activities, and positive self-affirmations, which is super powerful. To see these kids, to hear these kids, like, you know, I am strong, I'm beautiful, I'm resilient, all these things. And at first it can be a little awkward to say, but then you start really embodying it. Um, and that was my experience as a person just joining one of her classes in the park. And I, after like the session, I was just like crying and I was just like, wow, like so moved. I wonder how this would translate to people in the neighborhood, children in the neighborhood. So anyway, we did that in my yard. We grew garlic. We, you know, made food together and all of this at my house through a grant from the city of Grand Rapids, the Neighborhood Match Fund grant. And now, fast forward to cohort two, it's a collaboration between Southeast Market, Kayla Morgan and Resilient Roots, and Dreams Take Work, which is led by uh, Duke Turley Jr. And this is something that is being sponsored by the City of Grand Rapids Park and Rec Department and operates through the day camp at MLK Park. Mm. And so our reach is much greater. And we have this garden at the park that we're able to instruct around. What other programming is the market involved with? Is that kind of like its main uh, main focus as far as that goes? As far as education goes, definitely we're, we're leaning into some urban agriculture initiatives right now. Um, I sit as vice chair on the City of Grand Rapids Urban Agriculture Committee, 
And so we've got some really cool ideas around how to empower people with urban agriculture through urban agriculture and sort of removing barriers for people to get in touch with the land where they are because there's so much privilege in being able to, you know, go up to northern Michigan and camp and feel safe there. Um, So how do we get people in urban areas to connect with the land and to... It's so good for mental health. But yet we have these notions that camping, hiking, that's for white people. But truly that's rooted in the reality that black people aren't always safe in those spaces because a lot of white folks think that the rural area is for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think that the first step from my perspective is to help people feel empowered to um, have a relationship with nature where they are, which is in urban areas, which for people of color, we're situated in urban areas primarily. So, Have you found that people from other parts of the city do come visit your store or do you find oh, yeah. that it's pre- predominantly your neighborhood? Oh, no. Definitely people from outside of the neighborhood, yeah. And I I saw something online, like an article that you were in, uh, where you said that people have an opportunity to vote with their grocery dollars Mm -hmm. and how important that is. I know we're kind of circling back around to the political aspect of it, Mm -hmm. but... I, I've found that people don't understand that it really matters where you spend your money oh, yeah. and who you're spending your money with and that it is, it's vital to be intentional about it. Totally. I think that um, as much as we want to believe that democracy is alive and well within our, our current system, we live in a capitalist country and it's like king dollar is what talks. So... Yes, we do need to go to the ballot and have our our voice heard. But also, where we spend our money matters a lot. And so, what we like to share with people is, you know, these are the farms that you're supporting. These are the people, the families that you're supporting. And, And try to make it really transparent as far as what they're voting for, essentially. So... When you shop at Southeast Market, what you're voting for is small business, uh, sustainable agriculture, diversity in agriculture. Um, You're supporting black business, Asian-owned business, uh, female-led businesses. You're supporting small community support, mutual aid. So not a lot of businesses can say that you know Um, we're very intentional about how we use our profits we're in no way getting rich off of this operation Uh, but we, we believe that we're creating a model for the future the future that is Ooh, it's it's upsetting just with like United Nations coming out and saying like code red for humanity. 
a future that is at stake if we don't figure it out. And our food system plays a huge part in climate change. Right now, 40% of food that is cultivated and grown in the United States goes to the landfill while people are hungry. And that's not just food, that's water, you know, all these resource energy, all these resources that go into making this food and then it's lost. We don't have, we can't do that at this point in our, in time. We don't have the luxury to waste water on food that goes in the trash. We don't. So we're going to have to come up with new uh, new ways that we do things. And so we're trying to figure that out at Southeast Market. So one of the things that we do is when we're not able to mobilize food in our community, we give it to a vermicompost company that feeds it to worms that in, in turn turns it into viable soil, like this gold soil for growing. Um, so that's one way that we figured out, you know, how do we work in a sustainable way? It takes a lot of intentionality at every little decision that you have to make with the business. We, we check in, how are we being sustainable? How are we being equitable in this process? And some people see it and they, they really, you know, they mess with it. And so they shop with us. Um, but it's a lot to explain to people who are dealing with food insecurity. And it's like, not everybody understands all the, the different nuances of how we work, but we hope that within time we can continue having these conversations with our neighbors with other people um, so that we can have a model that works. So not only are you a, you know, a black owned business, but the products that you house in your store are also not, they're mostly locally produced and they're also owned by, by black business owners as well. Right. Sure. So what we, what we have are, what we call them are our priority vendors. And so we source first from our priority vendors, which are black, brown, indigenous, local, and female-led businesses and farms. Um, We start there, but it's not by any means um, just priority vendors. We work with a lot of white farmers, and that's because there's only a handful of black farms in this area. And that's partly due to the significant land loss that we've seen black farms experience over the last 100 years. Of course, there are always barriers to getting the land. Um, And then the land loss comes from discriminatory lending practices and these policies around title transfer where people who have family farms and you know they pass away they're they have a hard time getting it into the hands of their family 
or to other black farmers. So we're really passionate about land back, land reparations, um, and being creative around what that looks like. I've run into certain individuals who feel very threatened white farmers who feel very threatened by the notion of land reparations they think that we're gonna come to their home and try to take their land and that's not it that's is really not it i think that there's ways we can get creative and so we're exploring that right now so that's one piece of the work that we're doing we wear a lot of hats how long do you hope to have the market open like what do you have like is there a timeline or is this just like your main lane that you're you're staying in yeah i i hope that the market is stays around forever um but i don't want to be the owner forever i i think that a good model empowers community to have ownership and like i love my home but one day, like, I'm going to go be a flower farmer in the woods somewhere. And whoever's still here, maybe it's one of our employees. I hope they'll be able to, to own it and carry on the torch, you know. Uh, but right now, we are committed to seeing it through to get to a place where we feel comfortable doing something like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How does, uh, do your kids come? Like, does Willow mm-hmm. come and uh, your partner's? Mm-hmm. She has a son or a daughter? She has three sons. Three sons. Wow. Mm-hmm. Is she married? Too? Yep. Okay. Yep. She has three kids uh, between the ages of seven and 13. So we, wow. have, we have young children. Okay. And they definitely give us feedback about like, you know, what we should carry or our prices and stuff like that. <laughs> They're super smart. They're very passionate about uh, environmental justice and... Yeah, it's been a really great experience for them to see everything that goes into building a business. And they were at home for a lot of the time, working or doing school virtually and watching us build this thing from the ground up. So our kids are going to be a force to... <laughs> they're going to be a force in the future because of what they've been able to, to see so intimately in their childhood. Um the the kids all go to the day camp at yes. the park they all interact with freedom school so yeah our kids are definitely a part of of all the of all of it yeah. so it's definitely a family-owned business with oh yeah with family aspect mm-hmm. did you how like even though you already had this idea with the pandemic how did that kind of shift the direction that you were moving in sure so um, had the idea before the pandemic, but only launched really through the pandemic. The pandemic was a catalyst. It was like, okay, if we're going to do this, like now's the time. Our neighborhood is contracting COVID at a disproportionate rate. Our neighborhood has residents with all of these dietary related illnesses, which are pre-existing conditions, which means they're not going to survive COVID as, as easily as somebody without that. And how do we address that? It looks like supporting them with, with medicine, plant medicine. And so, yeah, that's, that's really 
how we've always like operated um, is within the scope of the pandemic. So yes, we did have to make some shifts depending on what the COVID rates were in Kent County or in our area. Um, but it was always informed by, by the pandemic because we opened within it. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. I feel like what you've accomplished in such a short time, like in less than a year, your online presence, mm-hmm. who you've been recognized by, it's incredible. Thank I mean, you. I just feel like it's a full <laughs> blast off against every odd. Mm-hmm. It is. And... I'm like blown away by you, dude. Thank Gen- you. Genuinely, like I'm like thank you for Clemp because <laughs> I just remember meeting you and knowing that you always had this like fire in you, and now it's like fully lit. Yeah, it's, it's lit. lit. <laughs> it's lit, and it's only through the support of our community, like the GoFundMe, all these people that show up and they you know subscribe to our produce subscriptions. And they're really putting us on. And even though we're making mistakes, like, every week we're making mistakes. Um, sometimes we're dropping balls we really shouldn't drop. But the truth is we're human. We're mothers. We're, we're neighbors, you know. And, like, we've got our own issues. We're dealing with our own losses in our family. And so I think just being realistic and not having to keep up with this notion that businesses have to be perfect you know we're not perfect but we're still trying and we're doing the best we can as women of color as mothers of color opening a small business at a time where small businesses are closing and and being unapologetic about the rest that we need yeah so sometimes it it looks off to certain people who um who have this notion about how businesses within a capitalist structure need to operate. But that's okay. We're, we want to be building our own culture, the culture of the future, the business culture of the future that says you can rest sometimes. And you might drop some balls sometimes. But that doesn't mean that you should stop. You just get better. I see Alita today. Um, it's just so special. I haven't been back to Michigan since 2019 December and the last time we saw each other we kind of rekindled our friendship and I feel like we're coming together like I'm sober now like we're both on these paths that I think we were always like destined to do for sure and I love how it's like circled back around Mm -hmm. and that's like that's why I wanted to draw a card with you so the the deck that I brought um it's the chakra wisdom oracle guidebook and it was given to me on like my one year anniversary of being sober. So um, go ahead and you can pick a card. Okay, let's see what we got here. Oh, complacency. So for for the listeners, um, the chakras, the colors are red, orange, yellow, green, blue, purple, and neutral. Uh, what Alita has drawn is a red card, and it's her first chakra, which is centered around renewal, perfection, complacency, insecurity, discovery, and acceptance. Okay. 
So when your red chakra is brought up, it's kind of telling you to let your intuition be your guide. Um, and keywords with this are being passionate, energized, and forceful. And I think you very much embody that mm -hmm. with, with everything that you do. Um, so the inspiration surrounding this card is a warning not to give up. Mm -hmm. Beware of coasting along in a situation that is not what you really want. Mm -hmm. You will never be fully fulfilled by the unmet dreams of others. This card also encourages you to ask yourself, how can I redefine my dreams? How can I stop procrastinating? Key ideas with this are finding self-nourishment, leaving dreams unrealized, feeling depleted. It's a time for deep rest, lack of motivation, and holding back. And I feel like what you were just talking about, how it isn't so important to rest. We live in this culture that mm -hmm. encourages you to burn yourself out mm -hmm. to the brink of like snapping. And instead of being able to you know respond we're reacting because we, yes. we, we're putting ourselves under so much pressure but but really we want to create the space where we can take care of ourselves because the better we take care of ourselves the better we can help others around us totally um and keywords for this card which i feel like fit you perfectly are daring and reclamation mm -hmm. and I feel in some way you are also reclaiming your neighborhood mm -hmm. and I love this aspect of like paying homage to ancestors and I feel like that is something that is so pushed aside but so important in minority cultures mm -hmm. and not so much white cultures yeah. and I just think it's awesome. Yeah this card is is definitely speaking to me. Um, one like I've just been really moved by the UN calling it a code red for humanity and so like to see the color red and the complacency that comes along with like not, if you don't really take this moment to to think about how you're complacent in like what's happening right now like we are we are a part of the Earth's trajectory. Humans' trajectory on the Earth. Let me say that. Because the Earth has been speaking to me and saying, like, I'm going to be okay. Y'all need to get your shit together. Um, but a lot of us are complacent in the way that we do things. This is how we, this is how we eat. This is how we buy our food. These are the clothes we buy. And all of that isn't going to get us anywhere. Like, we have to challenge and stop being so complacent with the way that we've done things and really challenge this notion of just because it's the way that it's been, is that the way that it needs to be? And the answer is no. Fossil fuels, large-scale agriculture, managerial racism... All that's got to go or else we're not going to survive. So I'm grateful that this came up because like really it's a, a great way to wrap this up. It's a call to action. How are you being complacent? And what do you need to do or who do you need to be around to challenge the way that you operate? 100%. Yeah. The last thing I'm going to leave with is just a meditation from this card. Imagine yourself doing the very thing you desire. 
Can you feel the joy of participating in your dream? Look back at what you're leaving behind to live your dream. For example, how would you live with less money? When you're ready, move toward the joy. Open your eyes. What has been revealed? tuning in to Lunar Cats. If you're interested in what we talked about with Alita today, check out her market's Instagram at handle southeastmarketgr. Again, that's handle southeastmarketgr. You can check out their website at www.southeastmarketgr.com. Alita just want to say thank you for blazing a trail for black women everywhere. You shine so bright. Thank you for sharing your story. My name is Mariah Kennedy, born and raised in Lansing, Michigan, but for the last five years, I've been living and working overseas in Germany. I'm aiming to share stories from around the globe. If you have an idea for a series or would like to share your story, please contact me at lunarcats with a Z dot safe dot space at gmail.com again my email is lunar cats with a z dot safe dot space at gmail.com or for podcast releases visit my instagram at lunar cats with a z l-u-n-a-r-c-a-t-z Thank you.